back in the coffee shop today, World Cup Coffee and Tea at Northwest 18th and Gleason. I'm Tom D'Antoni, and with me is one of those musicians. His name is Alan Hager, and he is one of those musicians who is appreciated by his peers, but because he's been known as a side player, sometimes, unfortunately, gets overlooked, and that's a shame. Currently, more people are finding out about Alan because of Rough Cut, a duo album he recorded with Curtis Salgado, which has been finding its way up the blues charts and contains a wonderfully memorable song, I Want My Dog to Live Longer. Alan has been playing guitar for a long time, and you'll be amazed at his versatility, especially if you know him only as a blues player. You'll also be surprised (laughs) at how he learned the blues as a teen with his pal Terry Robb. You're going to come away wanting to hear a lot more from Alan. And welcome to the cupping room. Hey, Tom. Thanks a lot. Thanks for having me. Right here at the World Cup Coffee and Tea at Northwest 18th and Gleason, our home. This is the home. It's not the home away from home. It's the actual home. That's, I see your bunk bed over here. <laughs> yeah. That's good. Yeah. Where's my cat? Yeah. <laughs> we don't want to know. So you got a hit. It's done well so far, so things are good. Yeah, it's been surprising to me in in several ways, but good surprising. Why are you surprised? It's a great record. (laughs) Well, we like it too, but you know, you never really know, and I'm a guy with pretty low self-esteem, so I I worried about ruining Curtis's career. (laughs) I did, actually. In fact, I still do. But so far, so good. Well, it looks like I wish wish my dog would live longer is a hit. Everyone loves that song so much. It's unbelievable. And they have for quite a while because we've been playing that song for three, four years, something like that. Yeah. Yeah. It's the one that gets most requested. I'm sure. Of course. And you know the whole... (laughs) thing with alligator in that song don't you no it's quite funny yeah uh you know bruce iglar the president uh-huh. the guy who makes all the decisions yes. he didn't want that song on the disc <laughs> and curtis who knows bruce really well i've only met him twice and shane curtis's manager they both were saying hey you know this is a song that gets a lot of requests and yeah. uh, people are actually expecting it to be on the cd and Bruce was sort of reluctant, but from what I can gather, what Curtis has told me and kind of what the staff has, has yeah, said, that yeah. they were the ones that sort of kept saying to Bruce, it, you know, we got to push this song. And so he originally referred to it as a novelty song, <laughs> which kind of offended Curtis. I, I don't find it offensive i mean charlie Patton's song shake it and break it yeah you know these were sort of novelty songs in their time too but uh they're still great music right but it's not it's not a heavy arab you know (laughs) that's that's right yeah no and you know uh not this sounds weird but uh both Curtis's vocal line is totally great, and the guitar uh-huh. part is like yeah. me trying to be Big Bill Brunsey. So, you know, it, to me, it's not really a uh, goofball song at oh, all. Oh, no, not at all. And it has sentiment that most humans can relate yes. to. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so was it, was, it really, was it really written about a dog, a specific dog? 
Curtis, when he was a kid, had uh-huh. a dog that was his exact age. Oh, man. And when Curtis got to be about 14, apparently the dog got sick, which is not unusual. And there's this story that Curtis tells, which I won't go into now, about, yeah. uh, you know, Curtis having to watch his beloved dog die and go away and he didn't really get what death was about at that point and, oh, and, and so it was a wake up call to him and I've had all sorts of dogs in my life and inevitably any every dog owner knows there comes a day when something happens to the dog one way or another and you say goodbye and it's uh, it's an amazing thing Cats so too. I don't think Curtis would say that his lyrics came from a specific dog uh-huh. although um, I can't remember the dog's name now Chester was ah. Curtis's dog <laughs> I don't think it was written just for Chester just like uh, any song about a woman per se is about one particular woman. I know we you had, know how that is when his last album came out we had, he, he we we, we were he, both laughing about because uh, um, he, he'd be playing the tune, and um, his girlfriend would be in the audience, and, and they would people would think it was about her when it wasn't at all. Oh, well, happens all the time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it does. it's scary. Yes. Yeah. So did you did you two write that together? We did. Curtis called me yeah. up. He said, "Hey, I got lyrics for a song about uh-huh. a dog," and I said, "Cool," because <laughs> he knows my thing with dogs too. Uh-huh. So. Went over to his apartment, and we just sat there. And Curtis is a very interesting guy to write music with because he has certain ideas. Uh-huh. He he definitely has a concept of what he wants, not just with the lyrics, but musically. But he can't always explain what he's after. He can't go, okay, uh-huh. I, I want you to uh-huh. go from one to the five. And then I'll, uh-huh. you know, he, he doesn't speak, uh, you know, musicianese uh-huh. uh, so so fluently but so it's kind of trial and error with him but he told me the kind of vibe that he wanted and uh we tried that tune changed so much over time it it had like a really heavy two beat feel for a while (laughs) and then like i was just saying kurt you know we we sort of I drove it like Big Bill Brunsey with the quarter note mm-hmm. bass thing, and it mm-hmm. seemed to have a more happening thing. But, yeah, <laughs> I think that tune actually took an afternoon of us working together, and then I think, like, within a week we got together again and rehashed it. And, uh-huh. and But, yeah, that's it. Wow. I've always said, and I still maintain, that you're never too old to have a hit. <laughs> I've said that my whole life. I'm not so sure about that anymore. But you guys, you guys, give one hope. Well, it's, uh, it's very interesting to watch the response to that, and, and it has been for years. Mm-hmm. So I'm really pleased that it's on there because I do not see it just as a novelty tune. I think it's very cool. And, and having people sing along when you're doing it in concert. Oh, it, man. It, and not just the catchphrase, yeah, which yeah. Curtis you know, often encourages. Yeah. But you can see the lips moving to the lyrics of the uh-huh. tune. It's, uh-huh. it's an interesting feeling. Yeah, it's, it's yeah. cool. Yeah, that's yeah. great. It is great. great. And, you know, when uh, Kurt, like I said, we've been doing it for years now. And, uh, for instance, when we were on the Blues Cruise last winter, not Uh this past one, but uh, the one previous, I had a couple come up to me. I was just walking the ship one day, and uh, this couple came up, 
And the husband spoke to me and said, oh, you're Alan Hager. You, you, and I said, yes. And they said, well, you know, we saw you guys uh, earlier on the play on the ship, and, and you did the dog song, which is our uh-huh. favorite. Uh-huh. And then the woman, his uh-huh. wife, yeah. just broke down in oh, tears. Yeah. She said, we yeah. just lost our dog like oh, six man. months ago. Yeah. And so you can see this thing oh, with yeah. people. It's quite amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's uh, um, that song is going to be around a long time. We'll hope so. Yeah, it's yeah. totally fun to play. Uh-huh. I know Curtis enjoys singing it, and, and I find it pleasurable. So yeah, we'll see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Big Bill Brunsy, huh? A total hero of mine. Is that and right? Muddy Waters too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. You know, it's interesting with him because he had like th- at least three different musical careers, you know, time periods. Uh-huh. And, and when I was a kid, when I first got interested in blues, I, I saw him only as his 1950s and 60s folk guy thing. Yeah. Which yeah, was yeah. cool, but it was uh-huh. kind of hard for me to relate to. Right. But it wasn't until mm, sometime in the 80s where I actually heard his early recordings, which are incredible Uh he's not as mind-boggling as somebody like blind blake but he was an incredible ragtime player Uh and then all of his bluebird stuff and that huge influence he had on early chicago blues Uh i mean everybody especially guitar players but not just guitar players they basically idolized him Uh and i i have no problem saying if if big bill bruns he walked in this room i'd kiss him i would (laughs) i'd kiss muddy waters too But would he kiss you back? That's the question. Well, <laughs> who knows? Um, legend has it. Uh, the, 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 the legend that has been around for years and years is that you and Terry Robb discovered the blues together when you were very young. It's the truth. And uh, How old were you? Well... Terry and I met. Terry and I went to different grade schools. Okay, uh-huh. we grew up out in Park Rose. Yeah, we went to different grade schools, but our grade school together empty, <laughs> emptied into the the to one junior high school. Uh-huh. But we had actually met the summer before that. So going into seventh grade, uh, we had met because we were playing on a on the little league team together. Really, but I had no idea that he what was. What positions did you two play? I, I think he was an outfielder, and I usually I played second base. I can see that too. You know, I was I was not baseball. I've always loved sports, but baseball was not my thing. Uh-huh. It was Terry's thing. He has an older brother who was a uh-huh. great baseball player. You were the scrappy second baseman. Yes, yes, that's right. Baseball just didn't really do it for all me. All right, but, so there you go. But anyway, so, you're so on the same we team. met, but I didn't mm-hmm. know he was a musician at all, uh-huh. and it wasn't until we were in seventh grade that we started getting to know each other in a, you know, a friendship sort of way. Uh-huh. And he was the funniest guy in the world. He still is. And he would constantly get me in trouble in school. Really? I, yes. I was the good student kid. I was, you know, <laughs> a really popular kid, very smart, you know, and, and my teachers loved me. And then... What would t- he do? He would tell ridiculous jokes, turn around and make faces. He had his famous turtle face where he could turn around and make a face. And I would start laughing and it would be Hager out in the hallway and I'd be getting screamed at by teachers. And then it was really sometime during seventh grade. He knew I played guitar Mm -hmm. and we started sort of, you know, playing a little bit then. 
But it was really in eighth grade when our friendship solidified and we started listening to more music together. Uh-huh. And we started playing guitar together, although we, I guess we had a band in eighth grade. I, you know, after so many years, it's hard to remember. Yeah. But, yeah. but it was really one day in particular when we were listening to Disraeli Gears. Uh-huh. The Cream album. Yes. And on the album, it, it had a tune, Outside Woman Blues. Uh-huh. And it said, uh, Blind Joe Reynolds, mm-hmm. you know? And we thought this was hilarious. We thought this was a joke. You know? Oh. But we were, <laughs> we were such, we were already, both Terry and I, completely possessed by music. We were buying records incessantly. And I remember going to Music Millennium and <laughs> going through the blues section, even though I didn't really know very much. And on a Library of Congress album that I pulled out, mm-hmm. I flipped it over, I see Outside Woman of Blues, and I see Blind Joe Reynolds. Huh. And I'm like, oh, man. So I bought it. Yeah. I had no idea. And it was like, you know, $3.25 or something. Right. Brought it home, dropped the needle. Terry was at my house. And we both looked at each other because there was the guitar part. Of course, he's yeah. playing on slide, and Clapton was playing fretted. Right. You right. Know. But it... Same way. I'm like... Wow. And it was really, that was the starting point for us realizing, wow, man, this whole blues thing, these old guys are what everybody's copying. Uh And then it was just, you know, talking with Curtis, and I don't know about you, but mostly it was buying one album, reading liner notes, and going, oh, I should check out this guy. Oh, I should check out Charlie Patton. I should check out Sunhouse. I should Uh check. And it was the early guys that completely grabbed me, and Terry, too, for the most part. We were less into the Chicago scene than a lot of guys are. I kind of get that more now, uh, but yeah, I was a, a Sunhouse freak. Yeah, neither one of you guys are, are classic Chicago blues players. You know, it's funny. I pl- I Curtis has wanted. I mean, I'm sure you can more and more to yeah. kind of pursue that. You know, it's just something that uh, I just always came from to that from the Mississippi side of things. Right. You know. Right. Well, what before you discovered these old guys, what were you? Were you so you were listening to Cream, yeah. And what else were you listening oh, to? Oh, you know when the when when I was a kid, I wanted yeah. to play violin. My dad was really? a self-taught musician, uh-huh. and the, the tune that's on the recording, the instrumental of mine, Robert Charles, to get the run, that's from my dad. Uh-huh. He was a self-taught musician, played trumpet and piano, and um, and he was killed when I was seven. He was a lineman for Pacific Power and Light. Wow. And we used to listen to music together on Saturdays. That was our thing. We yeah. would lay down in front of He had a great tube stereo that he wow. would put wide open. And the two of us would just sit there <laughs> listening to music. Um, but it, I was interested in playing violin even as early as five. But for some reason, my dad didn't dig on that idea. Oh. <laughs> and then after You could have been the next Joe Venuti. Oh, who knows? You never know. You know, I, I, I have thought of what would that have been like. Yeah. You know, but... Yeah. Who knows? But uh, anyway, it, you know, when the Beatles came out, it was like, nah, the violin, forget it. I want to yeah. play guitar. Yeah. And yeah. so it was the typical thing of getting, you know, totally, I was a total Beatle freak, you uh-huh. know. When and did you then, discover that, 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 that they had, they had uh, copped all the Bobby Parker licks? Well, <laughs> you, I mean, you start to get an idea, you know. Hey, these, a lot of these tunes, especially off the air, 
the early albums. Yes. It's not their material. <laughs> no. You know, and you start to go, wait a minute. Hey, I, I kind of get that there's an influence here. Yeah. Well, first, and the thing is, that they, 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 they took those licks from Bobby Parker in person. Of course. That's, <laughs> that, I mean, that's right. He came over and hung out with them, and then they stole his licks. <laughs> it's a very interesting thing that, yes, back and forth across the ocean, yes. how things went. Yeah. <laughs> so it was that process. Yeah. And then when Cream came out, you know, and it was like, oh, wow, there's a whole other side to guitar playing yeah and i I was and still am really a total clapton fan Uh and uh you know a lot of people don't like his plan i I still love it and uh and so yeah it was disraeli gears where i finally Uh saw the connection Uh and then to be honest with you it was a couple years after that where it was like you can have cream i was (laughs) you know it's prior to that i was just thinking that i had I had a friend who uh, was actually a Reed College student. He uh-huh. was introduced to me by uh, somebody who later became uh, my, my mother remarried, and so he became my stepfather, uh-huh. a, the much dreaded stepfather. But he knew yeah. a guy at Reed uh-huh. who was totally into John Fahey. Uh-huh. And so this was when I was about 13, mm-hmm. and he had showed me some stuff. He talked about open tunings. I had no idea what he was talking about. Yeah. So he retuned, his, he brought over his guitar, and he retuned it, and I was like, oh, wow. So I used to take a knife. Uh-huh. And start to play, you know. So I was still, I was messing with the Fahey stuff even uh-huh. really before I got the connection. Is that, when, is that when Terry first heard Fahey? Yes. Wow. In fact, he may say differently, but I, I absolutely believe that his interest in Fahey was af- was came mm-hmm. after you know hanging with me, and that we both were huge Fahey fans. I mean, yeah. freaks. We yeah. we played everything verbatim. <laughs> Really? I mean, really? we were, wow. the two of us, it's an amazing relationship. I've never, in talking with other musicians, I've never met anybody who's described a similar thing where it was a deep friendship, uh-huh. but it was also, in a way, really competitive. We wanted to be able to play well, and we wanted to be able to play exactly what was on the record. So that's what we did. We were incessant with it. And, uh, I mean, we spent weekends every night together. It was, uh, you know, we played a lot. Yes. Wow. Yeah. So that legend or whatever you refer to, it's definitely true. Do Do you still play with them at all? I don't. It's on very rare occasions uh, now. You know, our thing kind of went different directions yeah, in a way. We're still yeah. friends. I had uh-huh. dinner with him just a few weeks ago. He and uh-huh. his wife, me and my girlfriend. Yeah. Uh-huh. So we're cool. That's good. It is good. Yeah. It yeah. is good. Huh. When, when did you When did you meet Curtis? That's <laughs> funny. I when I I grew up here in Portland, but uh-huh. then after. Uh, High school. I graduated from high school a half year early, uh-huh. and I wanted to go to Berkeley College of Music, although I really didn't know anything about it. Yeah. I loved <laughs> jazz. I was way more into blues, but, yeah. you know, so I went back to Boston and spent a year at Berkeley and then was pretty much disillusioned. Oh. Although in that time period, five months of that, I got to meet and have Pat Matheny as a teacher. Which was That's a huge yeah. impact on me. He's, yeah. he's only a year and a half older than me. Uh-huh. And at the time, he was so far beyond me musically, it wow. freaked me out. Which was he with Gary Burton then? Yes, he absolutely yeah. was. And yeah. it was the quintet with Mick Goodrick. Oh, boy. Still. Bob and, Moses? 
Yes, absolutely. That's cool. Funny on on my uh, I, I sat in last week on the twelve noon show on KMHD because uh, he the Matt Flieger likes to bring in a DJ from you know um, and just let him do have a theme. So mm-hmm. my theme was fusion, mm-hmm. right? And I played the Free Spirits mm-hmm. with Bob Moses sure. and Larry Coryell and Jim Pepper. Yeah, which was like hippie music. Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> but but uh, but Matheny's was not hippie. It was not hippie music. Pat was always coming from a different sort of yeah. angle, you yeah. know. But that, you know, that that side of things, you know, Bob Moses and Gary. I mean, that was hugely important to Pat. Yeah. So at yeah. that time period. Uh, Pat, it was be, right before Pat went to record his first solo album, Bright uh-huh. Size Live. Yeah. In fact, he left the last three weeks of the semester, I think, he, he went to uh, Oslo or wherever yes. the hell yeah. and uh, recorded that. But I used to see Pat, Bob Moses, and Jocko uh-huh. at a club in Boston wow. in Kenmore Square called Pooh's Pub. It was huh. 25 cents to get in. <laughs> now, I tell people that, and they go, come on, it's the truth. 25 cents, they played on a Monday night. Yeah. And it was insane. And Jocko was as crazy. Uh, well, that's not a, the right way. He was an odd fellow, you know, and yes. uh, nobody at that point sort of uh, had the insight that he might be bipolar or something like that. Was he like playing that. fretless? Yeah, oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. yeah. and yeah. he, you know, he would do the routine of running from the, I would sit at a table with him and yeah. Pat. And we'd be in conversation. Then it would be time for them to play. And he would run. There was a velvet rope across the stage. It wasn't yeah. even really a stage. And he would do his backflip routine, you know, and grab his bass. He was incredible. And Pat, was he, that uh, band, the Ozzy Smith of, uh, of, of jazz. Yeah, he was a wild man even then. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, an interesting character. Pat uh-huh. was, of course, way more subdued. Mm-hmm, and, mm-hmm. you know, people sort of at the time... Uh, made a thing of you know pat's midwest uh, influences and it's really true it's really that that comes out in pat's plan and right. he, he talks about it a lot you know yeah, the, yeah. the kansas city thing he was born in and raised in lee's summit which is a mm-hmm. suburb and so mm-hmm. you can hear that sort of vibe in pat and uh, anyway he was a huge influence, and, and even then I was playing with my fingers, and of course he uh-huh. plays a little with his fingers, but mostly with a pick. Yeah. And he was constantly trying to get me to change. And, uh, but it was really his influence that eventually led to my fascination with classical guitar, which is, which is funny, and later he always thought was hilarious. He used to go, yeah, man, so I'm the one that turned you into a classical <laughs> guitar. He, thinks, he thought that was funny, but anyway, yeah, anyway. There you go. <laughs> you're not you're not known that much as a classical guitar, guitar player. I certainly around here I'm not. Right. But for nine years yeah. when I was living in Boston, in and around Boston, that's all I did. Wow. I had a dual partner. We went to Europe, huh? South America, and all along the eastern. What would you play? Like what? what? Like what composers? Well, we. I was a great transcriber. Like I mm-hmm. love to transcribe, so I did tons of transcriptions of music by Bach. Yeah. Beethoven, uh, my my duo partner at that time, Neil Anderson. We recorded an LP of a of a Bach uh, 
a trio that uh-huh. uh, I had arranged for two guitars. Wow. And so, yeah, I, I loved to transcribe or arrange stuff for guitar. And then there's, you know, a fair amount of duet material by uh-huh. yeah. guitar players or people that wrote for guitar. But mm-hmm. I, I like transcribing stuff. So huh. That was my angle. What do you like about that? Uh, it's fascinating to me to take this thing on paper yeah, and to think, okay, well, this is for English horn and two oboes. Now, how can I make that work on guitar? Yeah. Or like with Bach, you know, I used to love to take organ pieces. Mm-hmm. Now, an organ's quite a different instrument than one guitar or two guitars, really? but to try to make it work, it was a fascination. And mm-hmm. I love playing that music because uh, it's so incredibly gorgeous and yeah, so yeah. that was it i wanted to make it work so whatever it took i would do it uh, you play that at home now uh, i do yeah i still play classical for myself i just grew tired of um the sort of uh, snobby uh, weird classical uh, audiences where i thought i was not playing so well and everybody was telling me how great I was playing and it just uh, sort of annoyed me to be honest with you (laughs) and I also was becoming again interested in other music I take Uh, a compliment dude yeah Yeah, that's funny very good yes it is hard to take compliments. Not for me. I'm I, Leo. I still suffer yeah. from that. No, I love that. I'm sorry. Well, I could, good for you. I could take praise all day and night, believe me. I'll have you coach me. <laughs> um, okay, so uh, uh, meeting Curtis, how did that happen? Oh, yeah, I think that was your original question. Well, well it oh, doesn't so, matter. So yeah. when I moved back to Portland, which was in... Oh, right, right, yeah. from Berkeley, right. Yes, well, yes, yes. I had transferred to were. a New England conservatory, and then uh-huh. I had graduated, uh-huh. and then I taught back there and then uh-huh. concertized. But, you know, the last couple... And plus, I will be uh, totally honest here, during that entire time period, I, my alcoholism was growing and growing uh, and yeah. growing. Uh, which is weird to a lot of people. They think of classical musicians as, you know, somehow not being uh, susceptible, but I, I sure I don't, was. I don't think that. <laughs> and uh, I, it was bad. I had burned a lot of bridges yeah. and had made a lot of stupid decisions. Yeah. And at the same time, my mother here back in Portland was going through this horrible divorce. Mm-hmm. So I came home around Christmas time just to uh, be supportive. And uh, once again, Terry uh, said, I'd been here back in Portland for maybe two weeks, and Terry said, why don't you just teach here, man? Why don't you move back to Portland? Why do you want to go back there? And I was like, that's a good question. (laughs) So he connected me up with Danny Handa that had Danny's Music Uh downtown Portland at that time, but previous to that on 39th and Division, and I'd known Danny since I was a kid. I went down, talked to Danny, and he goes, yeah, man, start teaching here. So I did. I stayed in Portland. And it was one night, uh, once again with Terry, he had played a gig with Curtis Mm -hmm. somewhere, and he hadn't received his money for the gig. Uh, It wasn't like Curtis was holding it out. He was just looking for uh, his his money. So we went down to where uh, Curtis and Lloyd were doing their duo in Uh Yo Face, you know, the thing they used to do. (laughs) And I think it was at the long goodbye, but I don't know. I can't remember. And so Terry said, yeah, I got to get my money from Curtis. And so here here we were, and here's Lloyd. 
And Lloyd is sweating and nervous because Curtis is nowhere around. Oh. We're waiting for Curtis. The crowd is waiting for Curtis. Those are the bad old days. Yes. 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 <laughs> Finally, Curtis comes in looking sort of like, what? What? What's up? You know? And Terry says, I, I, I need to get my money. So I don't, I don't remember exactly how that went. But anyway, that's where <laughs> I first was introduced to Curtis. Met him there, and apparently Terry had mentioned me to Curtis. Then when I used to play in Terry's band a little bit, like within the year of that mm -hmm. point or so, mm -hmm. we did the acoustic trio thing. Yeah. And then I started playing in his band at the Candlelight Especially. Acoustic trio with who was the third? Uh, Greg Fisher right. on drums, yeah. 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 And uh, that that unit was really fun. We played around for two or three years, and then things mm -hmm. got a little strange uh, with Greg, but that's all I'll say. All right. uh, but anyway, <laughs> and, and I had, at that point, Terry had asked me to join his band also, so I was playing with him, and, and Terry had landed his, uh, his uh, candlelight gig every Wednesday. Oh, yeah. And every once in a while, Curtis would come in. Uh -huh. But he never wanted to sit in, and he would stand right in front of me. <laughs> and it used to drive Terry crazy. He would never, Curtis would never say a word to me during breaks, or he would stand right there. And then Terry would tell me, yeah, man, he's driving me crazy. He loves your playing, man. And I go, well, he never says a damn thing to me. <laughs> so it was a few years later that, uh, you know, I started uh, playing up at the Ratskeller in government camp uh -huh. on Sundays. We had a house band up there with Dave called Dover Weinberg and Jeff Minnick playing mm -hmm. drums. And we would invite guests up to front the band. So Curtis was a guest, Paul delay, various other people big right. on the scene, Duffy. Uh, and so Curtis was a guest. So we started playing together in that context. Uh -huh. And when we would talk, it was always, we, there was a, we had listened to the same music, even though, you know, he had been in Eugene, I had been in Portland, we never even knew each other. But we were very much influenced by the same music. And then it was one, one night I was actually subbing for Lloyd Jones. Lloyd had a solo gig that he did out at the Stein House on 82nd. <laughs> And Lloyd called me up one night and said, hey, I can't, I can't do it. Will you sub for me? And I go, sure. So I went in, and Curtis came in. And he was sitting with a friend, and they sat there the whole night. And during the breaks, I, you know, we were friendly towards yeah. each other at that yeah. point. So we were sitting talking. Curtis stayed the whole night. At the end of the night, he said to me, hey, man, would you ever consider doing a duo with me? Wow. And I said, of course, that would be great. Yeah. And next thing I knew, we had some gigs. We never rehearsed. When, when was this? Oh, uh, this would have been um, 2003, something okay. like that. Okay. So early 2000s, yeah. somewhere in there. Were you doing your duo thing with Dave Fleshner at that time? No, no, that was later. Was like, okay. I met Dave really through Curtis's yeah. band, right. you know. Yeah, I yeah. used to sub on and off, uh, but Curtis mm -hmm. and I had been doing the duo thing prior to that. Uh -huh. You know, Curtis asked me on a number of occasions to sub for a guitar player that was going here, there, or wherever, mm -hmm. and I would do it, and then Dave was in the band, and um, so we got connected that way. So that's pretty much it. 
what, 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 kind of, what kind of stuff did you find yourself doing in, in, in duo with him? Uh, with Dave or? No, with, with Curtis. Oh, that, well, the funny thing was uh, we, we got gigs and we had never rehearsed. I was just going to say that. No, really, truly. I tell yeah, people yeah. that now. In fact, at our CD release on Friday here in Portland, I, I was said something to the crowd, and I said, you know, this is exactly how Curtis and I yeah. rehearse. We, we never it, – it's pretty funny. But, we, you know, he would call a tune, and, we, and I would go, cool, let's play it. Yeah. You know, and so it just sort of happened. We, yeah. we knew so much of the same material uh-huh. that, uh, you know, our repertoire came together really easily and naturally in a way. You know, and, and then, when something sucked, we would go, yeah, we'll come back to that or we won't. You know, really, it was yeah, yeah. we just kind of let what worked uh, sort of bloom on its own. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh-huh. Did you start writing with each other right away? No. Yeah. In fact, it took a number of years for that to happen. Huh. You know, Curtis has over the years had all sorts of people that he writes with, people yeah. that he's comfortable writing with. And then I can't remember when it was. He said, "Hey, let's let's come up with some ideas together. See what we get." Uh-huh. Yeah, uh-huh. Wow. that's still what he says. Yeah, <laughs> he usually has. When Curtis talks about writing a song, he's talking about lyrics. Yeah, I'm not. When I uh-huh. think of writing a song, I'm yeah. thinking music, uh-huh. and I will put lyrics to it. I might have a line in mind, uh-huh. but he writes from a lyrical side. I write from a musical side. So, uh-huh. you know, he would call me up and say, hey, I got some ideas for a tune. Give me this vibe. Uh-huh. And that, that's pretty much how we would start. Uh-huh. Wow. Yeah. Uh-huh. And I talk to other musicians who have worked with him and written with him, and uh-huh. they say the exact same thing. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh-huh. It's, it's, it's collaborations are, of course, music, it's, it's, Collaborations for musicians is a way of life. Absolutely. Not so much with everybody else in the arts, you know? Yeah, that's an interesting point, you know? Yeah. Um, uh, but it's great. I mean, I, you know, it's great when it happens, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 I, I mean, you know, when I even used the term self-taught in, when I was talking about my dad, uh-huh. and I, I hate that term. Oh, <laughs> I, I, my students will often come to me and say, well, you know, I'm self-taught. And I, I will I will say to them, what do you mean? Have you ever heard music? Yeah. Did you ever listen to another guitar player? Yeah. Well, then you're not self-taught. Yeah. You've been, you know, so it's kind of a funny term. We're, musicians are always bouncing ideas off of each other one way or another. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh-huh. Huh. Who are you listening to these days? Oh, man. I still uh, you go back. I, so do I. You go back. I, I listen to everything. Right. Yeah. You know, I, really, truly, I, I, I go from. You know, when people ask me to describe my style, I, I always say the same thing. I say, "Well, I'm a Delta musician that practices 18th century counterpoint." <laughs> so, really, I mean, I love classical music still to this day. I listen to it all the time. I love blues. From the earliest <laughs> stuff to all sorts of stuff. Yeah. Jazz, I'm a freak for jazz again. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm all over the board, man. Yeah. It's interesting that you don't um, play out in those styles. Yeah. Like I said, the classical thing, it just it doesn't uh, appeal to me. It doesn't call my name, so to speak, in the sense of performing. I play huh. for myself all the time and yeah, enjoy it, yeah, but it just yeah. 
there's something about it. Plus, it ain't no way to make a living. Well, man. that's true. It's, you know, it is. It is. Tough. But it would be fun to spring it on on a, on a crowd. Yeah, it? and many people over the years have said, "Man, you should do this." And you and yeah. I'm, to me, it now that see almost seems like a novelty act. To well, me. you know what David Vest used to do? Yeah, David Vest used to play Sun Ra. Yeah, yeah, that's right. <laughs> yes, I'll never forget that. Um, one of the early scholarship things after Paul DeLay had died, they had a big show at the Aladdin, and he sprung it on the audience. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you could have seen, I don't, know, I don't know if you were there. I was not, but I remember that whole thing, <laughs> you yes. You could have seen the looks on the faces of the Cascade Blues Association people when, <laughs> when that band started playing Sun Ra. It was just priceless. Yes. Priceless. Yes. He used to actually um, ask me to come and read Sun Ra poetry with the band. Just fine. Of course. Yeah. You've got to have the yeah. double side of it. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, you know, I mean, it worked for him. Yeah. Not that he does, I, not that he does it anymore. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, I, uh, I, it, with jazz, I love to play over jazz tunes. Mm-hmm. I, I love playing over, you know, fancy, dancy chord changes. It's something that's mm-hmm. fascinating to me. I've never considered myself a jazz guitar player or a jazz bow in any way. I appreciate it. I love, I'm very comfortable playing over, uh, you know, standards and stuff. Mm-hmm. I, I love it. And I do that all the time for myself. Well, too. you improvise, don't you? Yeah. Well, what's the difference? It's just, you know, to get to be, I don't know. I just feel like it's not exactly what I want to be doing out in public. All right. Well. But if you're improvising, that is exactly what you're doing. You're right. (laughs) Because that's what jazz is, improvised music. There's there's not that much difference. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) So um, uh, are you going to be, you going back on the road with this album? Yeah, you know, you we just came from California, right? Yeah, we just got back from California, and then we did the two shows, one in Portland and one in Seattle, uh-huh. and we got another one uh, in Eugene on the 17th of this month, uh-huh. and then we go back out to Texas, and I forget where Texas. else in March. Texas. And yeah, so, and that'll uh-huh. be mostly, I think it's just the duo again at that uh-huh. point. And I think both Curtis's agency and his manager are just tr- kind of trying to figure out where the duo will work, how to work it into Curtis's regular band gigs, because yeah, we've yeah. been doing that now for, you know, two and a half years. Because, uh-huh. you know, during the middle of a Curtis Salgado band show, you know, we will do the duo. And right. people always right. freak out because a lot of people who know Curtis as a soul singer or an yeah. R&B guy, then yeah. all of a sudden he's up doing Sun House, you know, and it's yeah. like, holy moly, <laughs> you know, so that is, has always, has been especially fun for me yeah. to be a part of that. Yeah. Of course, if him. you really, if you really know Curtis Salgado, Sun House is not a surprise. Oh, no, not at all. <laughs> it's just to some of his audience, they haven't been exposed to that. But, yeah, I mean, yeah. it's so much a part of him. To yeah. me, it's 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 yeah. obvious, you know, he's a, yeah. he's loved that music as much as I have forever. So, yeah, yeah and yeah, you yeah. feel it and you know it uh, when you hear him do it. It's obvious. Why do you think it grabbed you? Do you do you know? I mean, I don't know if that, that that's uh, that's answerable, but. I don't think it really is. I can tell, you know, you can read any number of things into it. I think there's that emotional thing, that gut level thing that, uh, you know, crosses over racial lines, time frames, Uh you know. 
I just think somehow it hits you. With my students, I will often describe the X organ that resides within us. And one of my students actually came up with a better term. I used to say, you know, it's that thing that we all feel. We say it's in our heart or in our stomach we feel music, that gut thing. But yeah. it's somewhere in there and nowhere specifically. And one of my students said, I got it. It's a U-I-O. And I said, what's that? It's an unidentified internal organ. <laughs> and I go, hey, that's great. So it's something there that somehow the music hits deep within you. It's yeah. not just a mental thing. Yeah. And it takes you over. Well, you know what Bob Marley said? One good thing about music, when it hits you, feel okay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's impossible to deny. You know, yeah. to, to try to intellectually uh, figure it out and then to try to find, you know, to be able to verbalize it, uh -huh. that's tough. I yeah. know. I know. Yeah. I, 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 just, <laughs> I, I just looked at the uh, John Coltrane uh, documentary, and Sonny Rollins was sitting there going like, you can't write about music. Why even try? Yeah. Can't put words about it. Yeah. Forget it. It was great. Yes. <laughs> I think it is worthy to try to write about music. Uh, it's not always easy. And to, especially in a really personal way, it's, it's difficult. And then somebody like Coltrane, I mean, how the hell do you describe that? You can't. All you can, all, all, all you can really do, unless you're a musician and you get down in the weeds, and talk about what he's doing exactly musically. Yeah. And, they're, you know, but most people can't do that. No, they can't. And, and, so, and so you end up, you end up writing, uh, talking about the personality of mm -hmm. the person. Yeah, yeah. And that's what, that what they play musically, theoretically, uh, is only one facet of what made John Coltrane or anybody right. else what they are. Right. And those other things, you're basically guessing at unless you knew him. Right. You know? And then there are people who make absolutely wonderful, beautiful music who are total assholes. There are those, <laughs> yeah. Like Chet Baker, for instance. <laughs> yeah, well, I never met him, but I've heard all sorts oh, of you things. Should, you should see the documentary on him. Yeah. Man, everybody, his family hated him. Everybody, his children hated him. It's funny, I, I was just reading a book called West Coast Jazz. Oh, yeah. And, of course, there are several chapters about Chet. And, uh, yeah. yeah, a difficult guy. You know, obviously right. had a lot of problems. And uh, uh, One thing you might like is uh, if you go back into uh, the recent um, coffee shop conversations that, that we've done, did one on Art Abrams, mm -hmm. uh, who is in this town, Mr. Oh, West Coast Jazz. Absolutely. You know, and... Uh, uh, and how he used to, when he was 14, he would hang out on Central Avenue in, in, in L.A. And, you know, heard the, they let him, let him and his buddy sit in the kitchen and listen to Bird and, and Dizzy. And anyway, it was great. It was really good. Oh, I bet. Yeah. Yeah, and then there was Leroy Vinegar, who's no longer yes. with us. But he was yeah. an amazing yeah. connection to that whole L.A. scene, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I did an interview with a, a, a Les McCann one time. Mm -hmm. And... <laughs> Les has a tendency to get on people's nerves because he doesn't. He's no, he has no filter. <laughs> and Leroy was like his would protect Les because <laughs> they were they lived next door to each other. Huh. They they were in the same. You know, they, they, he was in Les's band for a million years. Yeah, yeah. And if 
let's piss somebody off. It was up to Big Leroy to make it right. That's that's <laughs> actually I love stuff like that. Yeah, I know. It's very cool. <laughs> you know. So it's is it, 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 how has it changed out there now? I, uh, with, with 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 playing in clubs and stuff, is, is it changed from when you when you first started? Uh, yes and no. You yeah. know, clubs are interesting sort yeah. of places to make music. There's goods right. and bads. Yeah. The thing that's changed for me most mm-hmm. is that um, musicians easily get absorbed in what they're playing. How well am I playing? Yeah. Uh, and I, I have been definitely guilty of that same thing. And uh, in the past 15 years, the thing that's different for me is I realize now at, at my, in my old age uh-huh. that it isn't really about what I'm playing specifically. Really? It's about this vibe that goes back and forth between the performer and the audience. Uh-huh. And that's the thing now that is endlessly fascinating to yeah. me. Uh, yeah. Don't get me wrong, I'm still interested in what I'm playing, right. but that's not where I'm fixated. Yeah, yeah. And Curtis and I talk about this a lot, and we, we, we have very similar feelings. It's that connection that you're trying to make work all the time. That's what it's about. Yeah, and yeah. when that connection is established between the performer and the audience, then this other force starts to take hold yeah, yeah. and then things come out of you as a musician uh-huh. that uh, may never have come out before wow. and that is uh, it, you were speaking about improvisation uh-huh. that that's a part of it to me that the audience actually puts you somehow in a different place or a space or whatever cornball term you want to give to yeah. it so well given that you know, the dog song must be doubly wonderful for you. Uh, yeah, it's yeah. totally fun. Although in that particular tune, I don't feel really any sense of improvisation. Well, no, that, but I mean the audience. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, no, yeah. it really, it's, it's an incredibly amazing thing to feel. I wish everybody who's a uh, non-musician or doesn't do some sort of performance in uh-huh. public, I wish they could feel feel that it's hard to describe it's a vibe that uh, is uh, undeniable but once again difficult to verbalize but well having said that why don't we conclude this by playing that tune cool thanks for coming in my pleasure tom thanks wish i could read the minds of women Wish I had gills for swimming Wish I had movie star looks I wish I knew every trick in the book I'd like to feel first love again And be 20 years younger But the greatest wish I want to come true I want my dog to live longer Wish I was the king of rock and roll Wish I was cool and in the know And I wish I'd rope blowing in the wind I'd like to see my late mother again I'd like to stop poverty Save 
save this world from hunger But the greatest wish, oh, I want to come true I want my dog to live longer I want my dog to live longer Cause when he goes, I'll be blue And if I had the power Oh, I'd have him live as long as me and you Cause God's got a reason for everything And in the Lord I trust But this ain't right God needs to see the light Cause dogs don't live long enough He cheers me up Oh, when I'm sad He's the best friend I've ever had And I don't care where his nose has been I let him lick my face again and again His love is unconditional And that just makes me stronger So the greatest wish I want to come true I want my dog to live longer I want to come true I want my dog